Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. Today, our topic is going to be learning to laugh again. Let's begin today in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning in the first verse, it says, A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This also is vanity." This passage reveals the mindset that has taken hold of the world today. Verse 3 said, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The world is full of sorrow. It defines the day that we live in. But this mindset hasn't only taken hold of the world, which would have been bad enough. Now it's also infiltrated the church. Sorrow is an inevitable part of our lives. It's something that we will have to face at some point but it's meant to only be a way station on the journey of life. It's never meant to be its own destination. The problem is that far too many Christians have inverted this order, allowing sorrow to become their entire mindset, their attitude, their perspective, and they allow it to control every aspect of their life. This is a subtle tool of the enemy. He knows that we expect to face sorrow from time to time, but he then tries to normalize it and make it feel comfortable which makes it quickly devolve into self-pity and depression, which can open the door for oppression and possession. There's a reason why the devil uses this tool and why it's so effective for him. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. The sorrow that has infected the church isn't godly sorrow. We know that because godly sorrow doesn't end in itself. It would lead to repentance, which brings with it peace and joy and assurance. The sorrow that we're seeing is worldly sorrow that has infiltrated the lives of God's people and is doing just what it's always done. It's attempting to bring death, not natural death, but spiritual death. It tries to slowly draw us further and further away from God while we're conveniently distracted by our bad circumstances or all that's going wrong in our lives. These things steal our peace, our hope, our sense of security, and every other good thing that's meant to be enjoyed and cherished. Sorrow becomes more than a feeling at this point. It becomes a state of being. It becomes a characteristic, which is incredibly dangerous territory for a child of God to be in. We're not called to live in sorrow, and we need to rebuke it when we find it and tell it that it has no place in our lives. We were meant to have joy. Let's go to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, which is a psalm of Mictum of David. Beginning in the first verse, it says, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrow shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. 
their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord, who have given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Verse 4 told us, Their sorrows shall be multiplied, that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. Sorrow wasn't designed for us. It's for those who run from and turn from God. We're meant to have and experience joy. And not just a little joy, but the fullness of joy. Verse 11 said, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. John 16 and 24 says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full. We're designed to have the fullness of joy, to have an abundance of it, to be filled to capacity with it. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And since we have the Holy Spirit within us, joy should be evident in our lives. Joy should be evident in our homes, at our workplaces, at our schools. And most importantly, it should be evident in our churches. But there are too many churches where joy can't be found because sorrow has taken its place. The power and purpose of our joy can't be underestimated. It draws people to Christ when they see that we, his people, are joyful, happy, and content. Happiness may be found in the world from time to time, but joy is unique to the church, and even people in the natural are able to discern when dealing with a joyful Christian that they have something, something different, something that they themselves have never experienced before. Christians say we have joy. We all say that we rejoice. But it's important that the church takes inventory of itself and finds out whether we actually have the actions to back up our words. When dealing with a sorrowful world and a sorrowful church, we need joy. We need rejoicing. And if we don't understand what these things are or what they look like, then we won't be able to help. Until we can clearly define the problem and the solution, nothing will ever change. But a change is needed, and it is coming. We need a season of joyfulness to reinvigorate the church. Nehemiah 12 and 43 says, Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. Would worldly people see joy if they looked in our churches? Would they see joy if they looked in the lives of most Christians? If we're honest with ourselves, the answer is probably no. We should be known for our joy. It should be one of the marks of distinction that sets us apart from the world. This is why joy is so important. Joy isn't the same as happiness. It's easy for people to confuse them because they're usually used interchangeably. 
but doing this robs joy of its true meaning and significance, especially as it relates to being a fruit of the Spirit. Happiness is based on conditions. It comes and goes based on our situation or what's going on around us. We're happy when everything's going well, but as soon as things take a turn for the worse, we lose whatever happiness we had. Joy works differently. Joy isn't based on conditions. Like love, it's unconditional. We have it no matter what's going on around us. It doesn't come and go. It's steadfast. It never changes or wavers. When we have joy, it doesn't matter how bad things get. We'll still have it, and we can't lose it. Jesus said in John 16 and 22, And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Our joy is ours forever, because the Lord is ours forever. Habakkuk 3 and 18 says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Psalm 35 and 9 tells us, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. John 15 and 11 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. He's put his joy within us, because we have his Holy Spirit within us. And when we're full of the Spirit, it entails that we'll also be full of joy. The minute that we receive the Holy Spirit, the seed of the fullness of joy was planted within us. But we have to let it grow, and we have to let it manifest. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Fruits take time to grow and develop, and then they outwardly manifest and become ripe. The church is ripe to experience the joy that's been implanted within it. But we have to know how to recognize the fruit when it comes to fruition. What does the fruit look like? There are many ways that joy manifests in a person's life, but there's one way that's rarely talked about in most churches. Let's go to Psalm 126. Psalm 126, which is a song of degrees, beginning in the first verse, it says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Verse 2 says, Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. It's rare to hear most preachers or theologians ever talk about laughter or humor, and it's even more rare to hear them talk about God laughing or God's sense of humor. But laughter is one of the most important aspects of joy. It's one of the most prevalent expressions of joy. When we think of what separates mankind from all other forms of life, we always think of our minds, our rationality, our ability to reason, all of which are accurate. But we can't leave out laughter. Laughter is a uniquely human faculty. This is important because only humans are made in the likeness and image of God. And this entails that our ability to laugh is a central part of being made in God's image. It's a God-given gift implanted within us. Since this is a part of who he is, we know that God laughs and that God has a sense of humor. 
Psalm 2 and 4 says, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Psalm 37 and 13, referring to the wicked, says, The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. Psalm 59 and 8 tells us, But thou, O Lord, shall laugh at them. Thou shalt have all the heathen in derision. Knowing that the Lord laughs and enjoys humor lets us know that these things are okay. It's a gift that's there for us to enjoy and delight in. But many let it go to waste and squander this gift, giving in to the sorrow of the world and allowing themselves to become so constantly serious that they leave no room for laughter. One major reason why some Christians don't laugh is because they've bought into the lie that God is a mean, angry God that's just waiting to punish them. This idea of God leaves no room for humor, no room for laughter, and worst of all, no room for joy. This leaves an incomplete picture of God because joy and laughter are parts of his character. They're parts of what make him God. In order to get a better understanding of God, we have to take the time to understand joy and laughter. Ecclesiastes 3 and 4 tells us, A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Not only is laughter okay, God is a time designed for laughter. Laughter isn't only an enjoyable thing to do. Many times, it's the appropriate response. It's the right thing to do in that moment because that's a time that God has specifically established to be a time of laughter. We can't miss these moments. We can't miss these opportunities to seize this gift of God. We should take that moment for all that it's worth. Laughter has even been known to have many medical benefits. It stimulates our heart, our muscles, and our lungs. It increases the amount of endorphins released from our brain. It decreases the feeling of pain, and it helps to relieve stress and boost our immune system. This is why Proverbs 17 and 22 tells us, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Laughter in many ways is a type of medicine that God has built into us. Pain is real. Sorrow is real. But laughter can help alleviate that pain and sorrow because it expresses the joy deep within our spirit, the joy that isn't based on what we see or feel in the natural. We as the people of God can't forget the power of laughter. We have to let ourselves learn to laugh again. Many medical researchers have come to the conclusion that children on average laugh up to 300 times a day, while adults on average laugh up to 17 times a day. That's a big discrepancy, and it's very revealing. As life becomes more and more serious, as we start to see problems more clearly, and as we start to see the world for what it really is, it's disenchanting, it's disillusioning, and worst of all, it's disheartening. And the devil uses this knowledge to rob our laughter and our joy from us. Ecclesiastes 1 and 18 says, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. The more we learn about this world that we live in, the more sorrow we find. And very subtly and slowly, the amount of times that we laugh decreases fervor and fervor until our ability to laugh almost completely disappears without us even noticing. This isn't good, especially for God's people who are meant to have the fullness of joy. Children see the time to laugh and they use it. And we have to start doing the same. 
Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 3, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Part of being like a little child is knowing how to laugh. There's a lot of sad, terrible, evil things in this life where laughter definitely isn't right or appropriate. But there are also plenty of absurd, ironic, comical things where laughter is more than right and appropriate. We shouldn't miss these times because the evil temporarily seems to outweigh the good. A good deep laugh can be just the way that God gets our perspective back on the right things. We need to use our wisdom and discernment. Romans 12 and 15 tells us, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. One of the greatest devices that the devil uses to steal laughter from God's people is anxiety and worry. When he gets us to worry, he makes us focus on all the wrong things, while we miss what's truly necessary. Worry and joy can't coexist. One is forced to yield to the other. Worrying people don't laugh because they have nothing to laugh at. They just have concern and doubt. Proverbs 31 and 25 says of the virtuous woman in the New International Version, She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. The last phrase of this verse is translated in the New Living Translation as, She laughs without fear of the future. When we have God, there's no reason to be anxious. There's no reason to indulge worries and let them control our minds and hearts. We have to cast our cares on Him, knowing that our future is in His hands and that through Christ, the victory is already ours. When we really understand this, we're free to laugh and rejoice at all times because the war is already won. There's just a few more battles we have to fight along the way. Another important aspect of laughter that we have to take note of is how it's directed. There's a difference between laughing at someone and laughing with them. We're called to laugh with those who laugh, not at them. When we laugh with our fellow believers, it's part of edification. It builds them up. It encourages them. And it's part of fellowship when we enjoy each other's company. The only one that we should ever laugh at is the enemy and at his plans and devices, which we know will ultimately fail. Isaiah 14 and 16, referring to the devil, says, They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? When this day comes, we'll laugh, not with the devil, but at him, directing our laughter towards him, seeing him for what he really is. So what do we as believers do when we find so much sorrow in the world and now also in the church? How do we respond? How do we push back and allow joy to come to the forefront again? We find the answer in the last two verses of Psalm 126, which told us, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Since we have the Holy Spirit right now within our spirit, we know that the seed of the fruit of joy is already within us. And since the true church is filled with the Holy Spirit, we know that the seed has been implanted in the church. Spiritual seeds, just like any seed in the natural, needs the right conditions and the right environment in order to properly grow. One of the most important conditions that they need is moisture. And we should allow the tears 
that have been caused by the sorrow that the church is enduring to water the seed of joy. The church is sowing in tears, and the natural mind would think that then, in the end, they would only reap more sorrow. But the world doesn't understand the precious seed that the church bears, the seed of joy. God takes the tears, and just like he does with everything else, he uses them for our good. And he makes those tears the very thing that causes joy to spring forth. God turns it around. Psalm 30 and 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. This is a promise that we need to claim in faith for ourselves and for the church. The sorrow is prevalent now. It seems to be everywhere. It seems in a lot of ways to be all-consuming. But it's only for a time. It's just a passing moment. And soon the seed of joy is going to come into full bloom. The harvest will come. And when we reap, we'll have an abundance and fullness of joy. Verse 6 said, Doubtless come again with rejoicing. Doubtless is the key word. It means that it will definitely come to pass. Nothing can stop it from coming. It's easy to think that there's an insurmountable amount of sorrow now. But we have to remember that it can't compare with the joy and laughter that will come in the days ahead. Our joy will completely eclipse any sorrow that we're now facing. 1 Peter 1 and 8 says, Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is the joy that belongs to us. It's joy unspeakable, joy that can't even be put into words. And it's at this point, when there's no words to express our joy, that we should let the joy express itself in a deep, long laugh from the heart. Psalm 100 and verse 1 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. We usually equate this with singing, which is one meaning of it. But it's not the only meaning. What's a more joyful noise than laughter? Every time that we have a genuine laugh, we're making a joyful noise unto the Lord. We can't fall for Satan's devices and stop laughing. We have to learn to laugh again. Job 8 and 21 in the ESV gives us a great promise. It says, He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with joyful shouting. Let's claim this promise today. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you have put the seed within our spirit of the fullness of joy that you have not only left us with just happiness and contentment, but that you have given us joy, and not just any joy, not just a little joy, but an abundance, a fullness, an overflowing cup of joy, joy unspeakable, joy that can't even be put into words. And Lord, we ask that you help us through the guiding of your Holy Spirit to allow us to create the right environment for this joy to grow and to flourish in our hearts, so that it manifests and becomes a testimony to those around us of the joy that can only be found in you. Lord, we see the sorrow all around us in the world, and not only just amongst them, but also amongst our own people in the church. Lord, we rebuke this sorrow. It has no place in the church. It doesn't belong there. We were meant to be people of joy. We know that we serve you, a God of laughter, a God of humor, a God of joy. And Lord, Today, we want to be vessels in your service to rebuke this sorrow, to show people that there's a different and a better way to live, 
a way to live in happiness and contentment and joy that expresses itself in laughter from the heart. And we thank you that every time that we laugh, we're making a joyful noise unto you, and that that joyful noise will not only be to the benefit of ourselves, but that that will draw people to you. And Lord, we believe that we're going to see an abundant harvest of souls to your kingdom. And Lord, we thank you for the joy and the laughter that's going to accompany that harvest. And Lord, we give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to learn to laugh again and have Jesus as a part of your life today, all you need to do is to invite Jesus into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now, if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at kingswordbiblestudy at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all. And we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.